The growing calls across the nation to defund the police. To end policing as we know it. Off the charts violence in New York City. 11 people shot in just eight hours on Sunday. This is Sunday. about the police officers, officers who every single day put on that uniform and they run towards danger when we run away from it. Friday, 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 all the kids have prize failure to stop. You'll pay for the entire seat, but you'll only need the air Guys, I'm kidding. I'm welcome to Failure to Stop Podcast, the number one show where police meet society and culture. Today's show is brought to you by ghostbed.com forward slash Wolfpack and also Rip Pack, baby, using that promo code Wolfpack as well. Uh, I am joined today by my awesome co-host, Drew Breezy, the easy Drew Breezy. Today we're breaking down the Christopher Dorner. Cop turned cop killer case. He's got some special guests, some in, internal affairs investigators, some guys close to the case. So I'm super stoked. Before we jump into that, if you want to support the show, if you're watching on YouTube live, hit that like button, baby. Exit out of the comment section for just a second. Hit that like button. Give us a little like. Hit the little bell so you can be notified further on down the road and subscribe. But what helps us out even more than all of that is by leaving us a rating and a review on Spotify or iTunes or Podbean, wherever you uh, consume your podcast magic. Give us that five-star rating and review, baby. Uh, really helps us out in the algorithm, gets the show back on the charts where it's been a few times. Uh, we always like being on the charts, and I'd like to be back on the charts by the summer. That's our goal, so we've been going really hard in the paint for that. If you want to be a paid subscriber, a paid member, you can also do that through the YouTubes. We are back monetized, fully monetized again, baby. We're out of YouTube jail. So, uh, again, that was all because of you guys. Thank you so much for all of the, the help getting us out of YouTube jail. Uh, as of that, uh, the only other thing we have in the, uh, uh, I guess in the, I don't know, what do you call it, Drew? What do you call it? In the it? grab bag? In the hopper? In the grab bag. Uh, April 12th, Wednesday, April 12th, we have the meetup in Raleigh, North Carolina, just outside of Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, if you want to be a part of the meetup, it starts at Instill Distilling Company on that Wednesday at 5 p.m. and it goes till 8. And then at 8 to 10, we'll go right down the street to the studio where you're going to get to see Andrea up late live, Drew Breezy live and in person. You'll have Dead Leg Media live and in person, Jonathan Bates live and in person, and myself will all be on the same stage. It's free. You get to come in, there'll be some hors d'oeuvres, some beverages, and you can do a question and answer with us. It's a great meetup. There's a lot of you guys flying in. If you want the deets, if you want to stay in the same hotel as everybody else, which is in walking distance, people are going to be shuttling from the airports and everything, so you don't even have to rent a car if, if, if it's a financial issue for you. Um, we've got like a whole system going. All you got to do is DM us and fail to stop. Let us know you're coming, and we'll make sure that we can get you, as long as you're staying in that hotel, we can shuttle you back and forth to the distillery for free and shuttle you back and forth to the uh, studio. Other than that, do we have any reviews before we jump into today's breakdown? We do have three reviews, actually. Roll that beautiful bean footage, underpaid producer. From Willier, W-I-L-L-I-A-E-R. I'm assuming that's how you pronounce that. But uh, this is a five-star review, and it's uh, titled Breath of Fresh Air. Uh, what I appreciate about this already is that they didn't write breathe of fresh air because people confuse breath with breathe all the time. <laughs> In a world overrun by woke and PC nonsense, this show is a breath of fresh air. That's a very nice compliment. Mm -hmm. uh, the second one we have is from uh, another five-star review. This is definitely one of the best LE podcasts. Uh, I'm sorry, there's an exclamation point. Podcasts, and this is from Ja Mi. 
Jami, dog. That's Jami, dude. You know Jami. You. Come on, Drew. You know Jami, brother. Okay, so wanted to binge a couple episodes before leaving a review, and I wish I hadn't, as now I'm neglect. Uh, now I'm a neglecting parent, and uh, now I'm neglecting parent and work duties, little ears, and all that. Really, though, I love the breakdown of the current topics as well as the explanation of the comm center. Really fair and factual way to see things. I love the banter. I laugh aloud while driving to work. Drew is absolutely my fave. But I do feel a little bad for John sometimes. Keep it up. Uh, that was not hand-selected by me, by the way. So don't think that I am pandering to a new audience. The finally, the final one is from Wildcat, W-Y-L-D-Cat, 77777. There's a lot of sevens. There are probably seven of them. Another five-star review. Drew Breezy in the comm center. Naked shoulders of Hooter manager named Tina and Transy, the skateboarding, heavily medicated distillery owner, all combined for great shows that break down cops, criminals, and unsolved mysteries, entertaining from start to finish. And they finish a lot on the ghost bed. And you can, too, by using promo code Wolfpack at ghostbed.com forward slash Wolfpack. Sleep so good it's scary. All right. All right. All right, all right, all right. Uh, I know there's a lot of going on in the news in the police world. Again, quickly, uh, I know that we've got some shit down in Michigan. What's going on with all that? Uh, <clears throat> let me point you to the 13th of uh, February, which was the eve of the five-year anniversary of the Mar Marjorie Stone and Douglas shooting. There was an active shooter at Michigan State University. There are two agencies that kind of combine forces there. Um, and I just, uh, I gave a shout out on the, on the comm center last night. I want to do it again. Uh, uh, some of you may or may not know, and I'm not going to out this person, but a member of the Wolfpack was one of the first to respond to the MSU shooting sugar badger. Oh, I don't know that we want to give the name just yet, but, uh, they were definitely appreciative of, of, of us, uh, acknowledging everybody. They, they kind of, um, everybody's kind of decompressing from that. I know Mike is, uh, Mike the cop is uh, currently collecting, you know, patches and coins and such to, to go shower them with love. And I understand why, because this was a pretty um, traumatic incident and it was uh, two deaths, I believe, and five wounded. Uh, but about 815, there was a gunshot heard outside the classroom. Um, and then the police issued the run, hide, fight alert, which if you're in a, uh, any student anywhere or any person anywhere in a building or set of buildings and you get that alert on your phone, I'm sure is uh, pretty chilling. If you could, Elijah, there is a little bit of uh, dispatch audio I would like to play just so you can hear how and why. Are you, are you talking about what you sent? Because <laughs> I did not have the time to rip that. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were... Uh, able to screen share it but it's it will we'll get to it at some point we're probably going to do a, a breakdown on the case at some point but uh i just wanted to point out how uh completely chaotic uh it was and that dispatcher that was handling that uh as you know i do the comm center with drew breezy and jb on thursday nights where we highlight communications and police interaction uh and that uh that audio was um it's compelling, it's chilling all at once, but it just shows you all of the intelligence in an active shooter is going to come straight into a communication center. So I've got it right here. Oh, how about it? 
If it works. Shots fired. Complaint at Berkey Hall. Five hundred nine East Circle. Five hundred nine East Circle. Multiple callers calling it in right now. Uh, six three six six five three. Units are there to respond. Six five three. County units be advised. MSU is responding to a shots fired in the hallway of Berkey Hall. I need units prior. County units for shooting is going to be in Berkey Hall at MSU 509 East Circle Drive. I need units to clear info for command. There's going to be a shooting victim I'm trying to get further. I have a victim who's with the victim online on the phone. Central. 56, do they need the uh, units out there as well? 554, uh, I have a victim saying that there's a Nate Stately in the classroom who's been shot. They don't have the room number. We're getting further. 9 out of 83, I'm available. Can have that web command. Dispatch is 41. Room 114, there's maybe a victim in room 114. We're trying to get further right now. They do have the door barricaded. There's someone in room 135 shot as well. Room 114 and room 135, we have lots of medics in route. Okay, Just be well. live, they're advising that there's multiple victims in room 114. Just uh, further proof that this is like air traffic control, only busy, and there are definitely lives at stake here because they are doing everything they can to get the resources to help the people that are bleeding and or dying and at the same time trying to protect the officers that are responding to the scene. And uh, it's just uh, further evidence, in my opinion, that these, uh, these are not clerical positions by any stretch of the imagination. Wh whoever that dispatcher was did a phenomenal job, or those dispatchers were because I'm sure it was a, a team. And uh, they, they went through the same traumas that the officers did. It was just that the danger wasn't present like it was for the officers. Lots going on there. Um, thoughts and prayers, T-H-O-U-G-H-T-S, and prayers to all those involved in, in that whole thing. And um, we will be breaking it down when we get all the information from it as per usual. Um, what is today's breakdown? What do you have for us today? Wow. A uh, lot to go over today. A uh, great show in store. <sighs> Ten years ago. Uh, I don't know if people will remember this or not, but there was a fellow by the Andrea name. Andrea would have been 45 at that time. 44, I believe. But 44. There was a wow. fellow by the name of Christopher Dorner, and he was a, a naval reservist, but he was also an LAPD police officer. And he... Um, was fired from the LAPD. We have uh, Marlon, uh, a, a retired LAPD Sergeant Marlon Marachi, who is going to join us in a minute, uh, and uh, another guest who are going to discuss firsthand knowledge of the cases um, that may, may uh, just something to discuss. And then, uh, so you'll know who Christopher Dorner is, or maybe this will jog your memory. Uh, he killed two people. He published a manifesto decrying uh, racism and, and uh, corruption at the LAPD. And he was fired as a police officer and went on a rampage where he became a cop killer himself. He killed uh, two members of a cop's family intentionally. Then he uh, hunted as many police officers as he could. And uh, unfortunately, he killed one and, and uh, very seriously wounded another. Then uh, days later, as they were trying to, you know, there was kind of a manhunt for this guy. Um, another officer was shot and killed and another officer was uh, very seriously wounded who's back on the job from what I understand. So Marlon's going to bring a, a fresh and immediate perspective to what, uh, what, what was behind the Christopher Dorner case. And then uh, we're going to go over the actual timeline. 
Without further ado, let's bring on retired LAPD, Mr. Marlin. What's up, Marlin? Hey, what's going on, fellas? How are you? I'm doing great. Good. I like the new hat. Yeah, yeah. Gotta <laughs> gotta support my uh, my boss for hiring me to uh, teach all this discipline stuff. So, you know, pretty Marlin, happy can, about that. Where can people reach you on social media? Uh, definitely LinkedIn is probably the best way. Marlon, M-A-R-L-O-N, last name Marachi, M-A-R-R-A-C-H-E. Great. And you're with yeah. the And then Santa police Santa. discipline, you know, P-O, well, police discipline together. No, you can uh, spell it out. We're all C students. <laughs> right. There you we go. Let's spell go. it all Paul out. Paul Ocean, Lincoln, Ida, Charles, <laughs> Edward. Discipline. D-I-S-C-I-P-L-I-N-E will be my IG handle. And I believe my uh, the special guest, as a matter of fact, the I.O., the investigating officer who can actually tell you the whole story because he's the one who kind of started this little quagmire, um, is actually trying to come on. And I believe he's trying to get the link uh, in his email address. He's trying to get on. So oh, okay. hopefully we can get him on soon. Um, I think he's working on that now. Um, while we're waiting for him and, and I'm, Drew, are you sending that email out? I, I I, I have sent it. Hopefully, he got it. Uh, check his, text him and tell him to check his junk mail. Let's um, see. But uh, Christopher Dormer. Now that was the family who ate all the individuals. Um, is that ironic or what? Is that the guy that, that ate the faces? Is that the people? You no, know, it's Christopher <laughs> Dor Yeah, Dormer. Is he the one that ate all the people? Yeah, Dorner. Is, oh, uh, Dorner. Yeah. yeah. Wasn't it the Dorner family that ate all those fucking people? Oh, no. Are, are you thinking of the Donner family? Ah, the Donner family. Got Dahmers, Donners, Dahmers, Dormers. Yeah. I think Jesus. it was Dahmer. I think you're missing like an R and an N there, uh, uh, Eric. Something uh, like well, that. Well, hey, you know what? All, they all Close did enough, bad brother. things. Close enough. We did. Oh, wow, we've got a nice real lieutenant daughter. back there. Look at that. Yes. Well, it, it appears that Leonard has joined us. Uh, good morning, sir, to you. I appreciate it. I, I apologize for the short notice. I think we had a miscommunication on the time, but uh, I may have misidentified you also in um, your in, in the bio for the show. I think I said that you and Marlon were both sergeants. How dare I? Why don't you introduce <laughs> yourselves to our listeners? Good morning. Thank you guys for having me. Uh, my name is Leonard Perez. I'm a recently retired lieutenant from Los Angeles Police Department, and a co-worker and friend of Marlon Marachi. Oh. Wow. That's Esteemed. A, that's a, yeah, that is prestigious there. The <laughs> friends the, the friends of Marlon part, not the all the other cool stuff he did. That's, has know, Marlon it's the friends of Marlon that's really what, what I wanted to hear. That, that, that's like that's the verification <laughs> I was looking for today. Exactly, right? <laughs> that's a mic drop. The show's over. He, yeah, he can vouch for you. Has has Marlon explained to you what a Hofnar is? Because he's a fan of that. No, why don't you go ahead, Marlon? You got the sand. <laughs> you have the floor, Marlon. Apparently, um, out of the entire segment that we did, the best thing that I learned was the acronym Hofnar. Hard okay. on for no apparent reason. And I told my girlfriend that I was talking. I was talking to her last night. I was just like, you know, hey. You know, she asked me, she said, you ever gotten Hofnar? You know, and I said, well, we can take out the, you know, no apparent reason. So, you know, we, we can go from there. This, you know, and then, of well, course, we had, a, you know, the conversation carried on. But um, it's a term uh, that Eric used very eloquently, I might add. 
And uh, I was trying to show some discipline, Marlon. I was trying to show some discipline. I didn't just want to come out and say boner in front of you. Okay, I wanted to say I wanted to be a little bit more professional. Uh, Leonard, you were involved in this this Christopher Dorner case, uh, the investigating officer. How did you? Uh, you know, tell us about how that came apart uh, and or how that came to be that you became the investigating officer on that case. How was it? What were you hand selected? Uh, I, just at, Yeah, actually, I was not the investigating officer. I am the one who directed Dorn, Dorner to report what had occurred. So I'll back up. Uh, I'm in the okay. Navy Reserves. I'm enlisted. Okay. Uh, I'm in a unit that's a small boat unit. There's a sister unit next to us, an admin unit. Dorner showed up probably about three years after the fact as a brand new officer. He had been introducing himself around and he found out that myself and another sergeant who I'll just refer to as Ben uh, were on the LAPD and he was not an officer and he, he introduced himself and said he was trying to apply to different agencies and wanted some tips how to become a police officer. So I gave him the spill that I gave everybody else is go to the LAPD website. There's actually a website for people who are interested in becoming a police officer. And those are the steps. And the only last thing I recommended was you should probably do a ride along to see if this job's really a fit for you uh, because this job's not a fit for everybody. But once they do that ride along, they actually can tell if they do want to do this job or not. So fast forward, he, he must've applied. He comes on and he contacts me and he says, Hey, uh, I'm on the LAPD. I'm in probation. And then I hear some rumors that he's having trouble in the academy. Uh, one being that he had shot himself in his hand on the web of his hand with this brand new issue Glock while he was at home. Before we go any further, tell me about this guy. What is his build? What is his stature? Tell me a little bit about what his demeanor is. What kind of guy am I looking at here, Chris? Dorn? Okay, so I've never seen a picture of him or anything. So let me put this out there for you. A lot of people on the LAPD thought we were friends. We were not friends. He wasn't an officer and I was enlisted. Okay. I never had a meal with this man. But when somebody comes up to me and asks me, how do you become a police officer? Sure. I'm going to give them the spill and tell them what they need to do. So to answer your question, this guy's six foot five, looks hmm. like a uh, linebacker for a professional football player, very intelligent, good looking man. But he had, he, he had this, thought process that everybody was after him for some reason regarding his race. He always had to challenge people whenever he had the opportunity. Was he Hispanic? Was he Hispanic? Was he male black, male black. He's a black male. Um, Yeah. Yeah. He's a big, big intimidating uh, guy that looks like a bully. So he's a, so he's a a black Lieutenant in the Navy at the time or, or some kind of officer in the Navy. Correct. That's got to be far and few between, right? Yeah. That's not I mean, typically like a job that you would see no, a person of color uh, in, right? He's an educated man, got a college degree, and uh, put himself through ROTC and uh, passed all the requirements and became an officer in the Navy. And like I said, that's yeah, awesome. In my, in, my, in my training and experience, that exact stereotype would always join the Army and not the Navy. First, go on. Uh, every strong, strapping, handsome, intelligent black dude that I've ever met, uh, which there's only one, Dexter Pitts, uh, and he joined the army. <laughs> Gave his arm for uh, it, but uh, I, I don't Dexter. see Dexter Pitts joining the navy ever. Wow. No, okay. I don't see Dexter in a navy. He just learned how to swim. Actually, that was uh, that was his whole summer thing. He was his 
That's the whole sort of thing. He did like a whole Instagram about learning to swim. Dexter Pitts. Okay. I'll remember that. You never read the book, <laughs> I Am Pitts? He's a, no. yeah, he's an author. Great well. book. Great book. He's okay. a police officer, got his arm blown off in Iraq and then uh, worked through the, the Breonna Taylor stuff or, or was with Louisiana. I mean, uh, Louisville, Louisville uh, Police Department. Phenomenal book. Phenomenal guy. Phenomenal podcast. Actually, it's called the I Am Pitts podcast. But the book is, is a great book. I highly recommend you read it. Definitely will. I, I, since I retired, I've read about seven books so far. So that'll be number eight. <laughs> <laughs> well this one doesn't have pictures so this yeah. will be your first uh real book. Yeah. chapter book awesome awesome <laughs> looking forward to it so leonard he, he he you you knew him through naval circles you knew him through now police circles like i i, I agree uh, Anybody that comes to me and says, hey, I want to be uh, a Hillsborough deputy, that's where I used to work, I always tell them, well, look, all the, all the qualifications are on joinhcso.com. Just if you want to go there, see if you're going to meet the requirements um, and do that. So obviously he did that. He, he passed whatever psychological uh, that Post had, had him do, and eventually he was hired. Is that correct? And at LAPD yeah. as an officer? Correct. I left off where he was in the police academy. I don't remember what stage it was, but he ended oh. up shooting him, shooting himself. Shoot so himself in the hand. On the web of his hand with a brand new Glock issued Glock. So I'm guessing he was cleaning it and he pulled the trigger while trying to take it apart while the round was still in it. That's I have no idea what with Glocks. <laughs> First story I heard about it in 30 years of LAPD. So then he gets into another fracas with one of his uh, teammates from the police academy where they're in the last phase of their training and they assign them to Hollywood division to walk a, uh, a foot beat with senior officers while they're supervised. So they all fill into this big cargo van and they ride over from the police academy to Hollywood station. And it was either on the right there or on the way home where you have two students who are not speaking to him sitting at the very front of the van. And during their conversation, the N word comes up and he's not involved in this conversation. So he interjects himself in this conversation and he starts getting into uh, heated words and he reaches over and starts choking his classmate. And it takes a couple of the students to break him up. They report it. And then he gets a complaint from internal affairs regarding his, his activity regarding that. Nonetheless, I don't know what happened with that, but he did graduate from the police Academy. He gets on probation. That's your first year of assignment. You're assigned to an FTO, um, 20, um, every day you work. And I find out that he's having problems. He's having problems with his uh, probation period. So what he does is he elects to deploy himself overseas for a year and he gets a hold of me and he goes, Hey, what do you think about this? I go, I think this is dumb. This is stupid because your probation period is going to carry on when you return. So by you going on a deployment is not going to help matters. Plus you're going to be away from your training. So when you get back, whether it's six months or a year, you're going to, zero not a, not a good move i would not do that he doesn't listen he does it he comes back to his deployment they extend his probation that's when he gets assigned to the field training officer uh, Teresa evans so now where did he deploy to he still have where did he deploy to it was uh oif oef i think uh per yeah persian gulf i i, I want to say he was in in the dubai region in intelligence Okay. So he wasn't he wasn't a ground pounder. He wasn't a, a, a soldier in the front lines. He was an admin somewhere. OK. OK. Um, now, so, uh, a quick question for an internal affairs uh, officer, since, you know, we have you here. Um, 
you have an officer that hears the N-word. I don't know if it's a white guy that said the N-word or a Hispanic dude that says the N-word, but this guy hears the N-word and he chokes somebody out for it. Um, now, as a police officer, you're going to hear a lot worse than just the N-word when you're out of training. You're going you're gonna to be called a lot worse or, you know, or it's absolutely 100% going to be used against you when you're arresting anybody. Uh, Dexter Pitts gets it on a nightly basis. He's talked about us on the show. Is that not a red flag to internal affairs that says, whoa, if that's the way he reacts to hearing the N-word, he's going to have a problem when he gets out of here because he's probably going to get called that every single day. I mean, I'm absolutely. white. Like, I call the N-word every single day. From my, my, my experience, absolutely, that should have been a red flag. And as a, as a P1, he had no rights to that job, so that would have been an ample time to separate him from the department. Marlon? Yes, let's see. So we're taking you back to, oh gosh, what is this, Leonard? 2009, 2010? This is, this is probably 2000. Over 10 years ago. It was 09, according to his manifesto. Right. So this, so the academy time, and you know, don't quote me on the, on the actual timeline, but this would have to have happened about 12 years ago. Um, we don't, we can't confirm whether or not there was an IA started. Um, if chances just they were, it was adjudicated, but from what it seems, the way it played out, he made probation, which probably was maybe a counseling session or something very minor of non-disciplinary, and he carried on. If, if this will help you, Marlon, I, I read his manifesto, So, and just bear in mind, this is his version of it. The, the guys, the two guys he fought with, I think were Asian. Um, and I and it didn't really in obviously in the manifesto didn't discuss what context the N word was used, but he were, was, were they saying ninja? No, no, oh. they were using the true <laughs> N word. And um, he, he told them he was offended by it. He, he said that he was sitting in the front seat of the van and they were way in the back of the van. And, and okay. even in the ambient conversation, he could hear very clearly somebody saying the N word twice. And he warned them not to do it. And then they said it, they just, words were exchanged to the effect of i can say <clears throat> excuse me whatever i want whenever i want and that's when the um the the kerfuffle broke out if you will the scrum and um so according to his manifesto he received a day off for that and the other guys got were disciplined they received some substantial time off from what i remember but his beef with the whole thing was I basically got a day off for somebody calling me the N word. He's not taking responsibility for the, the putting the hands around the throat and, you know, obviously two sides to every story, but that was his beef with it. So obviously there was some, I, I don't know if it made it to internal affairs or if it was just done locally in the, in the division within the division or not, but. Oh no, um, that, that if, if he received a one day suspension and went through the entire process from beginning to end, it was yeah, adjudicated. What, Either it was either a suspension or a letter, letter of reprimand. I can't. Uh, okay. I, I just when you just said suspension, I, I was thinking. Right. Well, whether there was a recommend, whether there was a penalty or not, regardless of the penalty, it sounds from his manifesto that he went through the entire process from beginning to end. They cut a face sheet. They investigated it. He got served. He got skellied, and it was sustained, obviously, because it happened, and he received uh, some type of penalty. So yeah, that's gone. And Leonard can kind of fill you in on what happens after all that. And then I can kind of interject and tell you what this process, because I was there when the actual incident, you know, happened. And yeah. when I say I was there, I was assigned as an advocate in internal affairs. So I can kind of give you some 
intricacies as to what the process is like. Go for it, Leonard. So um, you guys are the first to be aware of this uh, in regards to uh, any media outlets. I actually got contacted by the LA Times. They did a big write-up, like a five-part segment uh, when uh, this incident, uh, after the donor incident occurred. And I chose then not to be interviewed, but basically he's on probation. He's having trouble. I'm on vacation with my family up at the lake in, in Central California. I get intermittent calls. I don't have a great signal. I go up to the hill every two days and I check my phone and there's a voice message from him. And he says, hey, I need to talk to you. So I'm like, man, I'm on vacation. I'm with the kids. We're here at the lake. Having a great time. I really don't want to deal with this. So I didn't call him back. I call him back the next day and he proceeds to tell me, hey, I've been having trouble with my FTO, but there's something I want to run by you. I go, what? He goes, well, we had this arrest the other day and I end up, she ended up kicking him in the face. And I wrote that in the report while he was handcuffed. And then when she got the report, she changed it. She took it out. I said, what? What are you telling me? Are you telling me she took, she omitted that from the report? I go, when did this happen? He goes, probably about two weeks ago. I said, stop right there. I said, you knucklehead, you're a naval officer. You know right from wrong. You're just telling me this now two weeks later. And you know where I work. I'm assigned internal affairs. Why did you call me of all people? I said, you need to report this ASAP or else I will. I go, who's your watch commander? And he goes, it's Donald Deming. And I had new Donald. We had worked previously before at a different division. I go, I'm going to follow up with Donald tomorrow. If you don't call him, I'm going to tell him exactly what you told me. So you need to report this, self-report this. And I said, you better stand by because you're going to take a hit for this. This is stupid. And that's, that's what started the ball. So the next day he went to his watch commander, reported the incident, and that's when internal affairs got involved. And that just snowballed from there. But the caveat so to that a, is there was a period of time. Caveat that, to this. That, go ahead. Obviously, I didn't know this was going to end like this, such tragedy. And it's personal to me because uh, Randy Kwan was my lieutenant for four years when he was on the job at Wilshire Division. And his daughter was the one who was killed along with her fiance. So it, it comes back full circle and it, it, it's heartbreaking. And Randy is a wonderful, wonderful man, wonderful person. And his daughter and his family did not deserve this. So um, with that, uh, he did report it. And like I said, that's what uh, snowballed the investigation with internal affairs. And I was not part of the investigation. I was interviewed as a witness. And I testified at his border rights as a witness as well. So essentially what, what, uh, from what I'm gathering is that there was a, a, a schizophrenic or some type of mentally ill person that they were in the process of arresting. And um, I don't remember Teresa's last name, but uh, Evans, she, Teresa Evans uh, was the FTO and had handcuffed this individual. Then uh, a period of time elapses like two weeks. And he decides that all of a sudden, uh, it's not sitting right with him that she kicked him in the chest and in the face. And so he, he puts that burden on you instead of just reporting it to his shift commander immediately, his watch commander immediately, like he should have done, essentially. Yeah, so, and, and, and if we look back at it, you know, that two-week period where he didn't report it, I think what the fire to this was he was getting another unsat rating on his probationary status. Sure. So he was put in a corner and he felt, now I'm going to start throwing darts and see where they stick. 
Yeah. Now, what was uh, what was the outcome of that case? Did she, in fact, kick the guy in the face? So the investigators were never able to track him down. The victim that was allegedly kicked, they were never able to interview him. They interviewed everybody at the hotel, the witnesses, and his father, and uh, they never got a statement from him whether he said he got kicked or not. I do know, however, during the border rights, right? Correct, Marlon that his defense attorney, Randy Kwan, uh, hired a private investigator. And during the border right process, they did track him down and they were able to videotape him. Even though he was schizophrenic, they had asked him a couple questions. It was kind of hard to get responses, but they did get a response from him that he said, he acknowledged that he did get kicked. Did the witnesses see the kick? No. So uh, it also, I think the, the guy's father, just from what I'm reading from the manifesto, the guy's father also said, yes, he told me, uh, he told me after he was arrested that he was kicked. But again, this, you're, you're relying on the testimony. I'm not making excuses for anybody. I mean, but right. you're relying on the testimony of somebody with schizophrenia. And, and when you ask him, hey, were you kicked? Uh, as opposed to what happened that day you were arrested? I, I think you're probably, you know what your answer is going to be. And I don't know what they asked him. So. Um, so that he did make mention of all of that in the board of rights hearing in the video, they played a video during the board of rights with this, right. uh, alleged uh, victim. This and I never go We've had a number of PIs on here and, and f frankly speaking, I don't ever take the word of a PI. Well, I, I take it with a grain of salt. A PI does everything he can to get paid and to get publicity. So yeah, I, I really paid hate by the defense. I really hate PI. I, I don't hate them, but like I've never, we, we've had many on the show and, and all of them have either credibility is just, it's in the shitter because we fact checked a lot of stuff that they say and it's, it's, it's very misleading. Um, but you, you know, and then all, yeah. You know, okay. So what was the girl fired or was she? No, she was, uh, that was, that was part of his beef. She was promoted. Oh, well, that, Part, of course. So Marlon can uh, chime in regarding where the investigation took off from there, Marlon? Yeah. So let's back up a little bit. So we do know, just for the audience to know, this border rights hearing process is one that is, I think I've mentioned this in the past, it's very unique. It's one of a kind. It's the only process we have in the entire United States that was adopted by my wonderful Navy as the Board of Inquiry, uh, where you, the chief, pretty much reviews this IA complaint and says, you know what, this is so serious enough, this misconduct that's being alleged against you, accused employee, where I'm going to send you, I'm going to direct you to this hearing. My recommendation is going to be removal. Basically, I'm saying that I want to fire you. However, I'm going to leave it up to this three-member panel to make this decision. And to save time, this hearing is no different than a civil trial. It's a tribunal hearing, but it's got it all. It's got, uh, you're going to plead, obviously you're going to plead not guilty. Most of the time you got opening arguments. Uh, you got a case in chief. You're going to bring in witnesses, uh, to testify. You're going to introduce evidence so they can examine once the, uh, department rest, which was my job as a prosecutor representing the chief of police. Uh, basically you're, you rest and now the defense puts on their case to go do the same thing. You do closing arguments mm -hmm. and now they start deliberating whether or not you're going to be found guilty or not guilty. Once you are found guilty on one count, all it has to be is just one. If Even if you have multiple allegations, you are going to step into the penalty phase. And in that penalty phase, you have character witnesses and you get to bring in your package to get to review it all. 
And now they start deliberating for the type of penalty that they're going to give you. So, hey, hey Marlon, who who comprises the three people? Is it is it three people provided by the office, or one person provided by the defense, one person provided by the like who who are the three people that sit on the panel? So board picking is very unique in and itself. There's this wooden box that we have with all the chips. There's chips where you get to choose. Uh, you get a several amount of choices, uh, depending if there's conflict or not, uh, you're going to pick the ones that you feel, I suppose, hey, you know what, this captain or this commander, we're good to go. And then there's one civilian board member. That was at that time. So you get two command staff officers and one civilian. That's how it's comprised. Wow. I don't want to give you some intricacies as to how this board picking goes, but no, just know that there's a choice amongst the defense and the department where they agree, considering there might be some conflict, there might be some bias, and you move forward, you make the picks, and here we go. Got it. Okay. Thank you. So at the time that this incident happened, I was an advocate. So I just want to make it clear for your audience that when I say I was there, I was actually like physically in this particular assignment. I wasn't there when this all went down. And as you can imagine, this is a pretty historical landmark uh, incident in the Los Angeles Police Department, knowing that on Sunday night, he went out and killed Randy's daughter and the boyfriend. And from there, he proceeded to go through this shooting spree, right? And I think it ended in a couple of days up in the hills in San Bernardino. Yes. Um, what I can tell you a little bit about what I know in this border rights process is that Apparently, he wasn't completely satisfied. As you can imagine, he was very angry, uh, as you uh, can uh, has labeled it. I think it's pretty proper to say some schizophrenic, you know, type of behavior. Very emotionally unstable because, as you can see, there's a lot of sequence of events that led up to him being directed to a board of rights. In other words. I'm sure that he felt like, oh, my God, you know what? I'm being singled out. This is bullshit. And you know what? He just completely snapped. That yeah, I think what's, what's important to mention here, too, Marlon, is the fact that he reports this misconduct against his FTO. But when they dwelled into that investigation, they determined that Dorner was lying. And that's what got him to a border rights. Correct. So that's, what start, that's what started the sequence of events. Right. So as lessons learned from this particular incident as it relates to false statements is it's just exactly what Leonard says. If you were to take anything out of this particular, and I'm just talking about the process, this is a tragedy. Let's just make that very, very sure. clear. But whenever you have an employee on employee type of allegations, you got to take that. You, you got to really notch it up in terms of to see who's credible or not. And I think in this case, it's exactly what Leonard said. You know what? I pretty much said that, look, this is what she did in this particular arrest. And they don't believe me. So therefore, they think I'm lying. You know, and so right. that's what really kind of pretty much that that's the snap, you know, considering he went and got fired. Um, and, and, you know, I, I hate to use this this word. Uh, the, this turn of phrase, but chip on his shoulder. Um, I, I think just everything that I've read and I've seen, he came into the profession or was raised um, to believe that 
America was stacked against the black man and that he was the black man that America was stacked against. In fact, he um, grew up in a predominantly white neighborhood or went to a predominantly white school and was picked up. Uh, he was picked on on the playground and got into a fight, which is completely what happened in the in the van. But it was the same thing. Somebody called him the N word and he fought and the kid got uh, in trouble. Then he got in trouble for retaliating against the kid. So the foundational, uh, you know, his, his fundamental theory on life is anybody can say anything about me because and use the N word. But if I retaliate physically, then I'm going to be just as punished as they are. So therefore everybody is against me. Everybody's against me because of the color of my skin. And it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with whether I'm telling the truth or not, but we know different. Like it's not, not every crime or not every, um, violation within a police department is investigated based on the color of a skin it's based on the conduct of the officer so I, I i think it's kind of important to note that he highlights it in his manifesto which you know it's eleven thousand words if anybody wants to to pull it off the internet it's it's available to you i'll show you some pretty chilling statements he made in there in a minute but um he, he again I, I don't i hate using the word chip on his shoulder but he, he did come in with his own biases and yeah. admits that he had his own biases. I, I totally agree with you on that. I totally agree with you. That was my first impression of him, even before he came on the police department, when he was at the reserve center, that's the way he and, walked around. You know, I, I consider this a, a, a hiring flaw, <laughs> you know, he, like I, I, if you've listened to the show, any times I talk about parental flaws or parental illness, but that's a hiring illness. If you make it that far, and nobody picked up on those red flags. The people who hired them should also be looking inside of themselves and saying, how did we miss this, man? How, how did we let this guy go this far? I mean, I'm shocked that he choked somebody on a bus and he's still a cop. I don't think yeah. that would fly in, in Raleigh, North Carolina uh, as, as a police officer. I mean, we had a, we had a gentleman, Ranger Battalion. Uh, I think he had four uh, combat deployments to Iraq, two to Afghanistan, with Ranger Battalion, highly decorated soldier, got into an argument with a taxi cab driver. Uh, and after a nine-month review, they just decided, you know what, you, and the exact words were, you're too aggressive to be a police officer for our, our department. He fought it. I mean, he might still be fighting to this day. That was, you know, <laughs> 10 years ago. But, you know, uh, that, that was a hard blow for him. But the department said, you know what, you're a great guy. You've, done, you've done perfect in the academy. He shot perfect. Um uh, he was of mixed color. Uh, he came from a, a black and a white uh, uh, black. I think I don't know if it was his mother was black or his father was white. Uh, either way, one was he came from a mixed parents. And, uh, you know, he was physically fit, um, smart Ranger Battalion combat deployments. But this argument uh, and no violence ensued or anything like this. But this argument with the taxi cab driver where the taxi cab driver felt threatened enough to call the police and he stood by and, and, and it wasn't a drinking related uh, incident. But the department at the end concluded that, man, you're you're in the academy and you yeah. can't handle a dispute without the cops being called between a taxi cab driver. And I remember it being very difficult for everyone. Uh, the, the, our academy class, they even spoke to us like, hey, man, like, what do you guys think about this? I mean, we understand yeah. that it's a hard blow. He was like the president of the class and now he's out of here. But you guys understand the importance of your behavior all the time. You know, and it, I, I don't know if the department used that as a learning tool or, or, or you know what? I don't agree with it. I, I thought he should still be a cop. But but 
my point is, is if this guy's choking somebody on a bus, if this guy's not making it off of probation as a cop, shooting himself, shooting, shooting himself, himself in the hand. hand I was how many red flags that. do you need? And, and did nobody pick this up in his oral board? Nobody well, picked this up in the psyche vow. Yeah. Let's let's think about this for a second. I mean, I, I worked in a training division at a large department for you know five, four or five years, something like that. And I, I'm telling you, I dealt with new recruits on a daily basis, pretty much. Um, my focus was on um, advanced and specialized training for the the officers that were already, you know, 10-8. But I dealt, I, I had my share of academy and uh, sheriff's orientation training uh, experience. And I can tell you, it's impeccable that the training staff. If you if you pick the right training cadre, the ones that are going to give fundamentals for the, for these officers. Uh, the ethics, the, but if, if you pick the right cadre, it all starts, first of all, in the recruitment process. So you, just exactly like you're talking about, Eric, weeding the, weeding those people out. Then uh, when you're training or when you're dealing with these academy recruits, uh, recruits day after day after day, it is remarkable how you can look at in, in an academy class, not even with, with it and as, as an objective eye as you want to have. Yeah. And just know that guy right there, row two, seat three, is going to be, he's going to retire as a major, maybe a colonel. That girl right there is not going to make it past two years without being pregnant. That one in the back is going to be the loudmouth at the scene that gets everybody in trouble and he leaves before the supervisors show up. And, <laughs> and it comes true. Like I, I saw it because I was on the training cadre, then I was promoted later in life. And I had all the same people <laughs> on my squad, and it's not me trying to fit the round peg into the square hole, but these issues are glaring sometimes. So when you have somebody who cheats on a test, or you have somebody who she, uh, shoots themselves in the heel on the hand, and then they choke somebody out a couple days later, you got to get rid of them. It just it's just the way it goes. Like they can go work somewhere else. If 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 I understand California's methods of uh, qualification there's a post standard which qualifies you to apply at any different uh, police department. Is that correct? Or Yeah. Well, correct. let me chime in on, since we're talking about post, if I may interject to sure. Eric's point, look in 2023, you took another officer out and you shoot yourself as an considered to be an accidental discharge. Not only are you probably looking at maybe, you know, some criminal filings, but you're definitely looking at Senate Bill 2. So Senate Bill 2 talks about the decertification of, uh, of officers, meaning we're really thinking about revoking your license, not just suspending it, maybe, but revoking it like you cannot be a cop here in California. And I can tell you that those type of allegations are definitely going to be forward and be notified to uh, California Post. And, and Marlon, too, I, I mean, th this is kind of a no-brainer. In 2023, if if an officer uses the N-word out of context, they're not going to be an officer anymore. You're done. Yeah. You're, you're pretty I, done. You know, I'm, that's why I'm kind of shocked that the, 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 the these guys weren't fired. So yeah. that's why it gives me pause. Uh, that think, was actually my was first question was, like, can yeah. Asians say the N-word? Like, I know yeah. that. Third party. Even third party. Nobody could say the N-word. Yeah. I mean, third no, party, it's even, you know, you're looking at, yes. It's, it's serious misconduct and uh, it, it falls. And then in what we call the nine deadly sins, you know, those nine defined serious misconduct uh, in an SB2. Got it. 
Yeah, I, I I can't imagine you being a cop after a negligent discharge. I mean, at least you would be on admin duty for you're looking probably a year where I came from. If you had a negligent discharge, I mean, they permanently took a dude's a taser away because he accidentally tased his TV when he was doing dry fires at his house. So, you know, <laughs> never again would he ever carry a taser um, and send him to remedial training. It was a huge deal. Um and, and I, I believe he lost his gun and his badge for a couple of months and not his badge, but he lost his gun. I, 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 maybe not his gun, but I know that he was, he was not on the line for that investigation. So yeah, this is, this is a weird, this is bizarro for me to, to hear all of these red flags in this homeboy so, is still a uh, cop. Is right. this, uh, are, are we all caught up at the moment that uh, we're at the point where we go through the breakdown or oh, is that him? That's him right there on the. Does he not yeah, look like LL Cool J at all? Does anybody Kinda, see that? Like you said, he was a strap. You know, he's a handsome guy. He was, you know, a naval officer. So, when you go to that oral review board, being a Navy man, I mean, Marlon, you tell me, they teach you how to snow people, obviously. Uh, <laughs> well, I know how to snow people without the Navy, so I don't know how much credit, I don't know how much credibility that uh, that statement has here, uh, my boy Drew. I'm just, uh, I, I'm just joking I, with you. I, well, I'm well, what I would say is, yeah. I, I'm a Chair Force guy. so I, <laughs> What I don't know, and I don't know if it's in the manifesto, which I doubt it, but what I can tell you is I want to say the other factor that just caused this complete snap is that during that week, and maybe you can uh, chime in on this, uh, Leonard, he was discharged from the Navy. So in other words, the border rights happened. He got terminated. But guess what? The Navy didn't know about it. It wasn't until probably, oh gosh, I want to say had to have been maybe a year later or so. And, and don't quote me on the timeline. But what I do know is nothing about what happens in the LAPD or someone from the LAPD is going to go and say, hey, Navy, look what we just did with one of your officers. You, you, you understand my point? And yeah. so he probably, he carried and continued his Naval career as an officer. And at some point, that came to an end. He got discharged, and that's when this rage uh, ensued. He was the commanding officer of a security forces unit out in uh, Fallen, uh, Naval Base Fallen. So Martin is exactly right. Uh, when the Navy did find out about that, they canceled his commission, and pretty much that ended his career and his job, his his pay with the Navy, and so, that's what started this uh, rage on him. Yeah. So uh, so if you'll. You know, I hate to keep uh, referring people to the here's LL Cool J. And then this is, I mean, is this not crazy? That's LL Cool J. And this is Christopher. That is remarkable. That's like, that's doppelganger. Yeah. To the max there. I knew I wasn't full of shit there. No, great work. Uh, So I, I, I agree that um, just in reading the manifesto, I hate to, like I said, I hate to keep relying on this, but this is the document that he, (laughs) he put out to the world. And it, it was like, there, there are no two ways about it. This, I think the title of it was, uh, I have it downloaded here. I just can't find it. But the, the title of it was, um, uh, I have no choice or something to that effect. Like he, he titled it to the United States of America from Christopher Dorner slash whatever his uh, badge number was. And, he, and it's to the United States. And it's just basically, I had no choice in the matter. Um, my, do, something like my last stand to America. And uh, there's a, there's a, uh, item in there regarding me where he says, Sergeant Perez, you should have known better than to send me to IA to report this. Uh, um, <laughs> he, he now, I that- mean, like, 
you know, I, you know, looking from from a thousand miles high. Like, mm-hmm. do you have any regrets in the way you told him to go CIA? Like, you know, that was always my problem. Was like, we're all adults here. You could have said, "Hey, man, I don't know why you did this. You waited two weeks." But don't I get think me right now don't you're making involved. a very big mistake, and you yeah, should it call sounds, the journal. It's, it sounds like exactly what he said. Yeah, it sounded like like you know I I would just been like you are in so much trouble for this and be like whoa whoa you don't even know why I waited for two weeks. There's a reason why, but you know it's like whoa hold on here you know. Yeah, um, I, I thought about that. That was a test for me as well too. You know because I was on vacation with my family. I could have said you know what I don't want to get involved. Have a good day. Go pound sand. Right. Right. But that, that wasn't me. That wasn't the individual I was. And also at that time I was also assigned and working internal affairs. Yeah. So, and were you, uh, you kind of like annoyed by this guy at this point? Like because of your Navy service, were you like, God, this guy just can't get it right? Like when he called yeah, you, what, was that your thought in your brain was like, what the I, fuck now? I told him, you know, right from wrong. You're a Naval officer. What the fuck is wrong with you? Why would you do this? Why would you put yourself in this position? You know, right from wrong. There was options for you. Call a supervisor, go to the watch commander. And you wait, you wait two weeks to do this. I'm sorry. And do you but think you're... he did go to a supervisor and they blew him off? And that's why he went to like, why did, why jump the chain of command there? The supervisor responded to the scene of their use of force, but he never mentioned anything that she allegedly took out that portion right. in the report. Now, I mean, I guess I'm assuming the supervisor was caught up in the same investigation and was questioned as well. What was the supervising, what was the supervising officer's tale of the story? Did he see her kick, kick this gentleman? The responding supervisor or her FDO? Yeah. The responding supervisor. No, he got there after the fact. And was he brief that she kicked him? He was brief, but there was no mention of the kick. Okay, so I mean, like, right, like if it really happened, don't you think he would have known when he got there, like that this guy had been kicked in the face? Like, I mean, yeah. I'm assuming if you kick somebody in the face, there's probably going to be a little bit of blood or at least some kind of a... right. You know, and I think the investigation revealed skin. the revealed that there was uh, damage to his nose uh, because okay. Dorner had tackled this guy to the ground and was wrestling with him, trying to cut. Oh, okay. Him. And then he saying Dorner saying that she allegedly came up and kicked him in the face right after he handcuffed her, after Dorner handcuffed the suspect. And when he was writing a report, he put that in there, and she said, "No, let me see this. This is his words," and she took that section out. So he had an opportunity to tell the supervisor handling these force investigation and the watch commander that was reviewing his report at that moment, that day, what had transpired. And he chose not to do so for whatever reason. Uh, anybody familiar with the, the field training process, too, you know that there are several checks and balances for the field training officer as well as for the recruit. So it's not like she's on an island, by, you know, training this guy by himself and he he he's isolated. He can't raise any issues with anybody else and true that you say leonard i mean we're talking about a year after he was hired because he had been gone for a year uh on deployment so yeah he was a new cop but not necessarily new i mean he he uh, has some life experience yeah he, he life experience and and he already had you know a year and change with the department when he was put into field training just because of uh you know by virtue of his of uh of his deployment he know he knows what's expected of him. Like this isn't absolutely him. Like you absolutely. know, you know. I mean, I mean, like even day one rookie, um, 
you know, day one rookie, if, if your training officer kicks somebody in handcuffs, you're, you're, you're probably more scared or you should be more scared of being fired than you are of making it off of, of, of probation. So you would be like, yo, I just went through hell in this academy and homeboy over here, you know, I know that that's wrong. Like, I don't want to get fired. Well, what do I do? That my training officer kicked a dude. Like you yeah. wouldn't, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, let, yeah. Let, that's not something you sit on for two weeks. No, I has a hotline. You can call anonymously and, and he could have reported it that way. Uh, sure, but you have like I mean, even before that, you would have had you've had classmates, right? Like I'm sure we've all done something and, and not like not ethical or moral, right? But like let's say that you get to a house and, and you've got conflicting stories by him and her, and it's a domestic, and you're just unsure of what to do, right? Like we phone a friend. Like you can phone your buddy and be like, Hey, I can I let these two go? Or do I have to arrest somebody? Or do I have to arrest her if this happened? And he says he doesn't like phoning a friend is there's, there's no shame in that. We all do it. Um, yeah, I feel like my training officer kicks somebody in the face. I call one of my academy mates and I say, hey, let me run this by you real quick. My training officer kicked a dude while he was handcuffed in the face. I don't really feel good about it. Should I tell somebody? You know what I'm saying? Like, right. Well, it, okay. There was another incident as well that he mentions in there. Uh, and maybe you'll remember Marlon or. Um, in the locker way, room at 77 Division. Uh, well, there was there was apparently a girlfriend that got a hold of his uh, password at the credit union, also, yeah. and it drained him out of some some money. And he said that she was just allowed to do that because he turned her in, but nothing ever came of it. Right, that was afterwards. I think that got that that case got dropped. Okay, yeah. all right. So, what was the locker room? My understanding is something along the lines where, and maybe Leonard, you can kind of help me out on this. Something about his war bag or his bag and. He had, a police, he had a police equipment bag, and he claimed that somebody urinated on his bag. And when they sent it to the SID laboratory, they determined it was water, moisture. Okay, again, you talk about the chip on the shoulder, right? This yeah. is a prime example of that, that yeah. everybody's out to get me, and they put the urinated on my bag. And, and this is, <laughs> on the one hand, most of America – you know, talks about the thin blue line and how we protect each other and blah, 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 uh, which we know is the thin blue line is basically to shield the public from yeah. the, from the bad stuff. Uh, but everybody else views it as we take care of one another. So in the, in, under that theory, who in the thin blue line, like we're a family. Well, if somebody, I, I, you know, the if somebody pisses line, like in we your always bag, want to burn each other down because we can't get, we can't gain rank unless we burn everybody down. You, you, you're more scared of oh, yeah. somebody tattling on you than you are anything else in thin blue line. Like, I, I, maybe if you get in some kind of special squad where you guys just all click together and and you've already made it to the top. But like, dude, if you're a young patrol officer like this dude is, dude, everybody is out to try to make a name for themselves at that point. So, yeah, you, you know, you 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 eye somebody wrong and they're gonna tattletale on you. Yeah, and, and to that point, Eric, all you do have is your reputation. All you have is your name. I totally agree. Let me entertain this particular type of allegation. Failure to report misconduct in a timely manner. Let's, let's think about that for a second. And Eric, you did a very good job explaining, like, look, man, I'm on probation, and my field training officer did this and that. and That's just totally right. I mean, I'm sorry, it's totally wrong. And I'm supposed to know right from wrong. Like Leonard said, you'd be surprised, man. This all goes down. You know, I mean, half of me thinks it's culture. 
Uh, half of me just thinks that a lot of times, and, and, and to this particular case at this point is, okay, look, I write on the report that this is what I observed and this is what I saw, right? Then it gets omitted. Now you have that opportunity to come full pace, right? Full speed and go forward and say, no, that's not what happened. This is exactly what happened. Right. To be that courageous and to have that strength and not be so, I suppose, thinking, oh, man, if I do, no one's going to believe me. If I do go forward, they don't have my back. She's my training officer. I'm just a probationer. She's got the sergeant, the lieutenant. Everybody's on her side and no one's going to really believe me. That could be maybe one of the thought process. And that goes to culture. I got a case right now where there was an accidental discharge with a probationer who just got off, you know, um, a couple of months. And it starts talking about uh, where, at what point do I actually report this, you know, and that's going to be an issue because it took a while to report it, you know, but it's yeah, not. That's, that's uh, like not reporting is lying. Yeah, well, well, true. Or you just, you know what? You, shit, man. Fuck. I don't know what to do, man. You know what? All these emotions are flying and not. Maybe I got time to think about it, but so what? Is two weeks reasonable? I would probably say no, it's not. Or, is or a the, couple hours reasonable? Probably so. Is a couple of days? I don't know. There is no actual threshold. But failure to report something because you believe that, especially in this case, is too unique. I mean, you're talking about serious, serious misconduct. You're talking about, you know, kicking a suspect, you know, while I'm trying to uh, affect an arrest. That's pretty bad. That's pretty bad. That's not something you just ignore. I don't care if it's even an hour, you know, in yeah, my because there's a victim there. I mean, if you have a negligent discharge in your house and your your round goes through the floor, I want to be honest with you. I'm not saying shit about it to anybody ever. You know, if there's no victim, nobody saw it. I'm not telling you uh, that but that's just my case on it. But like, yeah, but there's no victim there. But if you kick somebody in the face, there's an obvious victim. <laughs> like, right. And the but, fact that you don't come forward, I suppose, again, something 12 years ago that occurred as opposed to today there's yeah, probably a fair probability that today you're definitely going to go forward regardless of the consequences of the outcome getting back to what you say all the time marlon it's it's organizational culture it's police culture let's let's uh what, what's the first thing that everybody says when when marlon or leonard gets promoted to sergeant oh my god who does he have pictures of right so it's a matter of People think that you make rank because you have something on your superiors or you have something on your supervisors. And so maybe this is the culture that he endured and this is what he thinks he needs to do. So now he's starting to decline in his field training. He's, he sees the handwriting on the wall and he's getting ready to get fired. So he's like, oh, by the way, she Bingo. kicked the dude in the chest and Bingo. she calls you. Bingo. Spot on. He calls you. Um, so how about this? Uh, th I found the, uh, the manifesto. I'm not, it's called the subject is called last resort. It's, uh, labeled to America from Christopher Jordan Dorner, uh, 7648. And it says regarding CF 07-004281. I'm sure that's the, the case number. Uh, if we can, I'm going to run through a couple things here. Uh, newly engaged couple. To, this is from the San Bernardino Sun. Uh, on February 3rd of 2013, newly engaged couple Monica Kwan, a women's basketball coach at Cal State Fullerton, and Keith Lawrence, who is also a public safety officer at USC, 
They were found shot to death in the parking garage of their Irvine condo. Kwan was the daughter of retired Los Angeles Police Department Captain Randall Kwan, who Leonard just said is a, is a very humble, decent man. Uh, and he represented Dorner in, in his uh, disciplinary hearings. I have a photo of her and him that I've shown, uh, but just a beautiful woman there. And, and you know, this young officer in his uh, early in his career uh, at USC and who knows where he would have turned out. But uh, Dorner murders them in cold blood. He, he actually makes the statement. Uh, where's the hang on one second. He says. I am walking as I am a walking exigent circumstance with no off or reset button. Think before you attempt to intervene. You will not survive. I know your route to and uh, to and from home in your division. I know your significant other's routines, your children's best friends and recess. I assure you that the casualty rate will be high. Where does he he send that? He posts that in his manifesto, which is 11,000 words strong. And he posts that on Facebook. So the murder, the murder happens and please correct me if I'm wrong, fellas. The murder occurs at the, in, in, it just happens to be this captain's daughter. Nobody's really putting two and two together. Then this this manifesto comes out on Facebook, and somebody says, holy shit. And they notify LAPD at that time. Now the dots are starting to connect. Is that kind of what happened? Yes. Absolutely. Okay. I, believe the, I believe the shooting happened on Sunday night in a parking lot. It was. It was Sunday night in the condo parking lot. So he says uh, in his manifesto, I know most of you, this is February 4th. I know most of you who personally know me are in disbelief to hear media reports that I'm suspected of committing such horrendous murders and have taken such drastic and shocking actions in the last couple of days. Uh, He blames a culture of racism at the LAPD for ending his career and vows unconventional and asymmetrical war- warfare in the uh, to those in LAPD uniform whether on duty or off duty it's just it's it's completely ominous if you're an officer there uh, i i think i mean it's, those are chilling words right now uh, i can't imagine what it would be like on february 4th to know department wide this guy got fired he's a former LAPD guy he has naval tactics under his belt he has intelligence he has an intelligence background. He also has LAPD um, police tactics under his belt. And now he's on the hunt for us or anyone like us. But he, that... picked, but he picked the weakest target. Yeah, he could have went after any officer. He knew who was involved. He had targets involving uh, the two captains that sat on that border rights, myself, anybody else. He knew sworn police officers, but he chose the weakest target because he's a coward. Yeah, all that writing. It's very strange because I feel like that like kind of fucks over whatever statement he's trying to make. Like if you're trying to make a statement about racism in the police department, why would you shoot the wife of an officer who's also a person of color themselves? Like, how does that justify? You know what I mean? Like, go and kill a bunch of white cops. You know, now you've made a statement. Like, you know, there's racism in the LAPD. Fuck these white people boom, they're dead. You know what I mean? Like why, why go after a woman of color? That's not even law enforcement related. I think you're right. I think he just saw a target of opportunity and happened. He knows she's going to be unarmed and he knows he's not going to have, you know, he's not going to get shot back. He's not gonna have to go to war with this chick. Yeah. He picked the weakest target because he was a coward. Uh, Insane. Uh, So on February 7th, we're talking, um, he, he posts the manifesto four days later. He tries to steal, a. 
a, a truck at a yacht club uh, in San Diego and is unsuccessful in starting the engine, so he has to flee. But that kind of throws everybody off, right? Because he went south or he went to San Diego or he went close to the border. So the manhunt continues for him, but everyone's kind of looking in the, the San Diego area. Um, but then on February 7th at about 1 a.m., Lee McDaniel, who had seen Dorner on the news the previous night, recognizes him at a gas station just south of Corona, and both leave. And McDaniel flags down some LAPD officers who were on their way to uh, another assignment. He drives by, and the officers follow his gray Nissan Titan to the north, uh, northbound 15. Uh, at about 1.20, he ex- exits at Magnolia Avenue in Corona. He opens fire, grazing an officer in the forehead and immobilizing the patrol car. Now, the problem is the LAPD radio is out of range, so they're having trouble communicating this. They even have to jump out of the car and commandeer somebody's cell phone to call 911, and they do that. So they're in, uh, uh, they're in Riverside, if I'm not mistaken, when this occurs. And the, what happens is the Riverside, uh, th- there's a, a, a two-man car of Riverside police officers sitting at a traffic light. What's that? It was yeah. an all-points bulletin about what happened. It, it so was. River, it, River, River, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. So Riverside's on alert, and they have information that they're looking for this truck. So at this point, Dorner is in a height, heightened alert himself, and that's when he sees a squad car come to a red light. They don't obviously realize that's Dorner across the other side of the intersection, and he opens up on them with a with the rifle with a silencer. I actually have the video. I don't have the. Um... Hold on one second. I don't. I don't have the uh, audio of it, but uh, here, here's something for us to ponder on here. And for the listeners, don't be afraid. Don't don't tune out. Ninety nine percent of our our viewership is from listeners and not uh, YouTubers. So I'll walk you through the video from what we see. Basically, yeah, it's, a it's written on the screen. So yeah. unbeknownst to the officers, Dorner's truck is located across the intersection. That's the vehicle right there. That's his truck. If you could see it off to the left. Um, for those listening, it's a large Nissan Titan. The, the Bolo, from what I understand, had not come out yet. But you'll see in a second in this dash cam, he's sitting at a red light. The officers come under automatic weapons fire and have no chance to respond. You'll see a little bit of a, a puff of smoke. And very, very ominously, the, the, the car just starts rolling very slowly mm. through the intersection. And it, it's heading towards a... Uh, um, it's heading towards a uh, taxi cab. This is, you know, pre-Uber. Officer Crane is killed instantly. Officer Takayas is uh, critically wounded, unable to move his arms or his legs, and the car rolls away slowly across the intersection. So eventually what happens is um, they kind of bump into this. Uh, the, the, the cab driver obviously saw what just went down, which is freaky to begin with. The, the, car, the patrol car is just slowly moving because... Um, the officers are unable to move for either being dead or being paralyzed. The, the cab driver jumps out of the car. About this time, the bolo comes out that says, hey, uh, as the cabbie jumps out of his own vehicle and puts the officer's vehicle in park, he's unable to move his arms. Takayas asks him to key the radio and breaks into the Dorner bolo with a call for assistance. He's, it's, it's very haunting to listen to. I don't have the audio on here, but he's like, look, officer shot, officer shot. I need medical, blah, blah, blah. And his help was uh, less than a mile away. 
um, but obviously too late for his uh, his partner. And uh, so his partner was was murdered uh, sitting right next to him. He has the cabbie get out of the cab and key the mic for him to do that. I don't know if I mentioned that, but you'll see in the video in a second here, the um, you, you can see the red and blue lights pulling up to uh, to come assist him. And then there's another patrol car like within 10 seconds behind him. Uh, even though the responding officers were less than a minute away, Dorner would not be seen again until evidence of his location is found later in the mountains around Big Bear. Um, so uh, that's that's what happened there. Um, he took out uh, one of these uh, one of these guys is Officer Mackay, and the other is uh, Officer uh, uh, Michael Crane who was uh, murdered by Dorner. So the manhunt continues uh, on February 7th. Uh, there's a, a, a forest ranger of some sort, division of forestry employee up in the, in the mountains of Big Bear. He notices the uh, uh, off of a uh, service road up there that Dorner's truck is, is burnt to a crisp. Uh, and there's a rifle still in the backseat. They set up a man, uh, a command post. The manhunt directed from a command post in Bear Mountain uh, Ski Resort parking lot. There were SWAT teams involved. They start going door to door. Um, there's no trace of Dorner. Thousands of tips pour in. Now let's set the picture, and you guys can paint the picture of what Big Bear Lake is like. But there's a lot of vacation residences and condos, and it's a beautiful kind of touristy area. So there's plenty of empty cabins, so to speak, empty condos. Is that kind of accurate? Yes. Uh, so as these tips begin to pull in, there's also very sickening. Um, there's also support for this guy. There's also, you know, the other side of it that, that starts supporting somehow this guy. Uh, Charlie Beck was the LAPD chief at the time. He says he's going to re-examine the allegations of the brutality and the racism that he raised in the manifesto. There's a million-dollar reward uh, for information that leads to his arrest and conviction, and days go by without any leads. So we fast forward to the 12th, um, and about noon, this is where two condo, uh, a, a married couple that owns a condo out there, Jim and Karen Reynolds, uh, they own uh, a condo in the uh, Mountain Vista Resort. They enter their condo to go check on it. They know what's going on in the news. They think, you know, that there's some activity going on up where their condo is. They enter the place, and sure enough, he's in there. And he assures them, he's, he ties them up and puts tape on their mouth and everything else. He assures them he's not going to kill them, but he said that uh, there was conversation with them. He, he flees in their SUV uh, Karen Reynolds uh, frees up enough to, to get her cell phone to call 911. So now officers are starting to narrow in. Uh, one of the lessons learned after this I found uh, was that there was just so much outpouring of support and, and people wanting to help and people wanting to get some, to be honest, um, that, you know, off-duty officers from all across California were showing up there. Uh, and it was very hard from a command and control uh, standpoint to to kind of control that yeah. because you're trying to send rescue teams or SWAT teams or whatever and you got other guys out there with their with their armament like just wanting to secure this guy wanting to join in the manhunt it's understandable like it's just this is kind of what we do so uh am i missing anything so far fellas 
No, you're right on. I have one uh, thing to add when, when you're ready. Go for it. So what the story doesn't tell you is anybody that was involved in that border rights process or leading up to uh, Dorner's uh, termination, uh, the names were on a list and the department LAPD had recognized that these people were under threat status, uh, one including myself. So the department had to scramble to put together some force protection for these officers that were named in the manifesto because he was on the loose. He already had the, the, the intent to start hurting people and killing people. So the department saw that these people were uh, probably next on the list and utilized security details of on-duty manpower. And that was a big quagmire for the department because, you know, LAPD, uh, the officers, they live, you know, within a 40 or 50 mile radius within the city. So they had to send security teams all over and throughout the city to these officers' homes to provide a 24-7 force protection. Uh, I know when I got the call, they said, hey, you're on the hit list. Where are you at? I said, I'm good. What I need you to do is go to my ex-wife's house. My kids are there and set up a protection detail there. That was nice of you. In fact, fact, when when I learned of this, I went straight to the house and nobody was home. And I was armed with my Benelli. And when she pulled up, I go, where are the kids at? She said, they're at high school. I said, go get them and come straight back. And I I was there for probably uh, 24 hours before that force security detail protection showed up and they took over. And they were probably there until the duration of this ended. So we had, we had LAPD officers at the residence 24-7 all around the house. And this is not just my house. This is everybody else that was involved in this uh, Dorner incident. So Leonard, uh, and uh, without sending you into some type of flashback, I understand this is a very traumatic incident and I hate to put you on the spot, but um, if, if you feel like talking about it, what, what is on your mind at this point? Like when you get that call and you, you're trying to corral your family, what, what is going through your mind? Yeah, just, just protecting my kids. I, I didn't care about myself. I, 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 like I said, I armed myself a Benelli. And I put slug rounds in there and I had butt cuff with 10 additional rounds. And I went straight to my ex's house and I said, where are the kids at? They're in the high school. Go get them. Come straight back here. I'll explain. She did. She came back. I put them upstairs away from the front of the house. And I stood guard in the front of the house. And then the next day, the security details showed up and they took over. But my concern was my kids. You know, if this guy was just going to randomly shoot in the house to try to get anybody, that was my number one concern was my was my kids. Understandable, completely understandable, just terrifying. I, I, I can't begin to imagine. Plus, the uh, office itself is dealing with the tragedy of um, the captain's daughter being murdered. I mean, th- there's yeah. just a lot going on. And then obviously that, something like, yeah, go ahead. That and one of their own, one of their own ex-LAPD officer out there on a murderous rage throughout That's- the county. That that was an, a, a big concern of the department in addition to the welfare of their remaining personnel who were involved in this incident. All, all very manpower intensive, but all very emotionally draining as well. Right. Yeah. And little old me, you know, um, at the time as an advocate, I, I, I really had concerns um, about doing this particular assignment, uh, knowing that if someone gets terminated, you're just going to go postal and lose it, you know? And, I actually had a case without getting into details where 
it was a it was off duty that involved a husband and wife and uh, there was some threats uh, he was heavily armed and at the time that Dorner was caught when he was killed it, it must have been maybe I don't know a week later maybe if that or a couple of days where we were getting ready to convene start the board uh, day one and the night before I actually had a conversation with his defense attorney to really get a, a, a to try to measure right and see where his clients at because if if this goes if it doesn't go the way it doesn't go his way it's a better way of putting it then I certainly don't want to uh, put myself in any type of this predicament so uh, yeah it's 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 this impacted the way you do internal affairs investigation. That's those are lessons learned. It impacted the emotions that comes with what Leonard was experienced, but it certainly, uh, as a landmark case, it impacted the entire department. I'm glad you said that, though, uh, Marlon, because I, I do want to do a full, like, a deeper dive on this at, at a later point. But this is what, uh, and I alluded to it last time you're on. This is kind of what people don't think about of internal affairs investigators that they think that every they're always out to get them and they're this or they're that, but, but you're dealing with very unstable people who are armed most of the time and they're coming into your office and um, it's not, you know, not everybody is your enemy, but not everybody is your friend either. Um, and you see the extreme example here, but what's to say that this doesn't happen tomorrow and what precautions it, really and truly what precautions have been taken since. I All mean, right. You know, I mean, I know for like for us, for like internal affairs, you, you know, it doesn't matter what you're doing. If you go to their building, you have to put your gun in the locker. It's everybody. Yeah. Not if you're under investigation or not. If you go through that door, you have to put your gun in the locker and you don't get to be on the inside of that building. Um, if, you know, I, I know a lot of times uh, that if you're going to be when I got fired for owning my distillery, uh, they actually had the SWAT team waiting in another room. But my buddy <laughs> told me that they do that for everybody that they're going to fire. But I was the first person to be fired in 20 years. So uh, I guess it was like a new policy. But I was the first one to, to be fired in, in 20 years where they actually had to bring me in and tell me that I was fired because I refused to, to resign because I did nothing morally, ethically, or legally wrong. I own a distillery in a different county um, that wasn't even open yet. So, um, I mean, I, I mean, I guess that's why they do it, right? Like bringing the SWAT team, you can't have a yeah. gun inside the building. Probably, I'm, I would guess it stems from this incident. I, I'm, but I'm thinking even like in a, you know, I don't want to belabor the point, but even in a board of rights hearing, you, I mean, you got three members of a command staff sitting right in front of you. I mean, what what better time? Like, you know, I mean, it's just, it's it's uh, kind of daunting. It's yeah. it's intimidating. My recollection, yeah, he was pissed, angry, went off. I think he threw a chair across looking at uh, his attorney, how could you do this to me and blah, blah, blah. And next thing you know, from that point forward, we did call some uniform to escort him out of this building. The border right sharing at the time was at a building at the fifth floor, which is the highest floor. And they had to escort him out. They had to take him to his division to clear out his locker. They had to pick like the two biggest sergeants, you know, you know, to go to his locker because, uh, it's needless to say that he was definitely outraged uh, by this complete uh, firing, you know, this whole process. So. And again, it all goes back to the hiring process. Dude had red flags from the get-go. Should never yeah. have been hired. Should have been yeah. fired when he choked somebody out. I, you know, this is why. This is why you take that part seriously, man. You know, I, I don't. I don't like recruiters. 
in, in the police force when they have incentives. I don't want you to have an incentive to recruit. I don't need a number. Recruit me guys that aren't going to shoot me when they get fired that are going to get fired for doing something <laughs> stupid. Like hire, like if there's only three uh, that are ama- like that, that qualify, then we only get three, dude. Like we only get three. How about recruit, recruit me guys that aren't going to get fired. Right. Like I don't, I don't, you know, this is, this, we don't have time for that. I mean, we got to deal with so much other stuff uh, in the profession. We don't need to be worrying about each other. Uh, okay. Hire people that aren't going to lie. Hire people that aren't going to, you know, and then hold their feet to the fire in the academy. That's why you have to have these paramilitary academies with a little bit of hazing and a little bit of shaming, yes. you know, because yes. with a little bit of hazing, with a little bit of shaming, you're going to see who can take it and who can. And, you know, if you can take it, then be cop. You can't take it, then you can't take it. I mean, doesn't mean you're a bad person. Doesn't mean you're a coward. I mean, you know, if, if you can't be called the N-word, you know, when I went to the academy, uh, there was a cadre member that used the N-word to rile people up all the time. Um, and and he did it because he needed to know who had a problem with it. And, you know, now he's since not allowed to do that. And I, and I think that's wrong, man, because you need to know uh, who's going to do that. I, there, there was training scenarios where one person would take the side of a pedophile and, and they would get in a direct, direct argument with you, taking the pedophile side and saying, well, what about this? What about that? To see if you came unhinged or if you could sit there and have an argument and not lose your shit, because what are you going to do in court? You're going to lose your shit in court when somebody takes the side of a pedophile, you know, they they would bring these emotionally charged issues um, that weren't comfortable to others. And they removed that from the Academy since then. Uh, And I disagree with that. I disagree with that. I think that that is the time and the place. Let's see what people's triggers are. Let's see what snaps them. I'm not saying you fire them because it breaks them, but you use it, you show them the video and you say, all right, look, man, when I brought in the Bible, <laughs> when I threw, when I was doing this, this scenario of being a crazy person and I threw the Bible on the floor, all of a sudden that's when you decide to arrest me. Like, why did, why was that the time? Was it because yeah. of the Bible? Cause you, you understand that you can't do that, right? Like the Bible has nothing to do with committing crimes, but we could see that it agitated you. Let's talk about it. You know? Well, those are all important things. <laughs> Thou shalt not steal is a commandment. Indicators, uh, you know? So as he's uh, fleeing, by the way, things, things are happening. Like they have him in sight. He's tailgating two school buses, and it is believed this is an apparent attempt to keep the officers from laying out spike strips. Like he's mm. thought this out, obviously. Uh, so he, is, uh, he encounters another care t- uh, a Boy Scout uh, caretaker and points a rifle at him. He calmly asks for his Dodge pickup uh, within seconds. Um, they, they, they spot the pickup truck, they exchange gunfire. Um, and then there are, he, he ends up at this cabin. So at uh, one twenty-five, there are calls of officer down. They start transmitting over the police radio as Def- deputy Alex Collins and then detective Jeremiah Mackay are hit and Mackay dies instantly again, you know, to honor their memory. That's, uh, I believe that's McKay, uh, Mackay on the left. Um, so, um, he, uh, shortly before four, uh, deputies in an armored vehicle uh, lob in canisters of cold tear gas, but Dorner still doesn't surrender. The standoff continues for several hours. And shortly before four, Dorner begins sending off green smoke grenades. And several minutes later, commanders decide to start using uh, pyrotechnic tear gas stand, uh, canisters known as burners. 
It says in this article, because they can cause fires. I've heard uh, nothing but law enforcement say, we never intended to burn anything or anyone out of anything. That's not a tactic we would use. We would use the tear gas to try to maybe, you know, smoke them out, but not, definitely not burn them out. At any rate, the fire starts, uh, they're, they're on the fore side of the cabin. Uh, they tell them on the fore side, get ready because the one, two, and three sides are burning. Uh, so he, if he's going to run out, he's going to run out your side, and they hear a single gunshot go off. Then the four side uh, picks up the flames. The flames shoot up, and uh, it, it is uh, a couple of days later that they uh, positively identify uh, the, the deceased victim inside as Christopher uh, Dorner. Uh, just in the aftermath, uh, Riverside officer Michael Crane was laid to rest on February 13th. Um, and uh, the relief of the, the of his threatened uh, targets, uh, the charred remains found in the basement of the burned cabin are confirmed through dental records as Dorners and authorities announced the next day that an autopsy concluded that he died of a self-inflicted bullet wound. So that's mm. the conclusion of the, the story. I mean, we have the beginning, the middle, and the end. Um, anything to add? Uh, very, very chilling, very deep, very heavy case. Uh, again, the most poignant part of this, I, I agree with you, Leonard. I mean, it, first of all, it starts and, and Eric, as you aptly point out, it's, it's all in the recognition early on in their employment. If they're not fit to be a police officer, sometimes you have to just say you're not fit to be a police officer. Uh, this guy felt that the whole world was caving in on him because, Though he didn't have the police job anymore, he felt that he could still have the Navy job to rely on. And obviously that's not going to fly. You can't command a, a set of people if you're untruthful. Um, and then he chose very cowardly to kill this beautiful woman, a, a basketball coach, coach at Cal State Fullerton, who just had her only, um, her only involvement in this is her dad. I mean, I, I cannot imagine what her dad must have felt or still feels, um, you know, like, this is the main thing leo you touched on it you just you want to protect your babies and um this this was just kind of like the most sinister evil thing anybody could ever imagine to do how do we think yeah. this was or do we think this is a case of mental illness well or is it just a not, bad person just, he, just a he's person. a bad person but obviously he's not right in the head to to um i I mean, when you associate the word manifesto, I, I don't know of too many sane people that, that put put out a manifesto. So, yeah, yeah I, I, I would say there was a touch of mental illness. So, um, and, and and that again is why it's so important that you know you're screened by uh, psychological exams and and all these things. And yeah, I wonder, you know, I, I wonder in the Memphis beatdown. Um, that we saw here recently. I wonder in this case, you know, I, ever since I saw the Dennis Perkins file, you know, and, and, and Dennis Perkins was a horrific cop, probably arguably one of the, the, the most disgusting and disturbing police officers to, to ever wear the, the uniform. Um, but when you look at the personal notes written by the polygraph, uh, the guy who, uh, do you call him a polygrapher? Polygrapher. A polygrapher. Um, when you look at the notes from the oral board, where one says that he shows traits of, 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 of being a, a sociopath. Um, <laughs> nobody wrote anything good about this guy. How did he get his, how did he get his job yeah. and who hired him? And so I think, you know, what we need to start doing in a lot of these cases where, where we have 
cops like the Memphis beatdown cops or like like the gentleman who was in Austin that that unloaded his gun into the car as it was backing up for for whatever speeding violation he had or suspected stolen car that wasn't stolen. You know, we need to go back and look at these files because if like I said, if in the Dennis Perkins case, we couldn't find one nice thing that somebody wrote about him in his oral board and he still got fired. Should that person not be held to some kind of account? Like, should that person not be brought in front of some kind of board and said, okay, if all these people said, don't hire him, why did you hire him? Hire him. Right. I can only say, let me interject on that. I read an article recently about an agency. I forgot the name of the agency where the process by which you go through a psychological evaluation and assessment and even a polygraph, those responsible individuals make a recommendation. Now that recommendation could be, you know what, dude, don't fucking hire this dude. Dennis Perkins, the polygrapher said, I recommend that you do not hire this guy. So the discretion lies, or I should say the liability, right? The fault, the accountability lies on the city and the entities or the individuals who decided to say, you know what? Yeah, we're good. We're, we're, we're going to hire them anyways. You know, right. so that's they the way that be, works. They should be held accountable for these, these things. Yeah. And I, and I, yeah. and I'm, and I, I guarantee you in the Dennis Perkins case that they weren't, and I guarantee you in this Memphis case, you know, I, I and, and we've already, and, and maybe we bring you back on for this Marlon, but this summer yes. or maybe this Christmas, we've already started it this week. I've started working on it this week. Um, but, but I am, I am personally, my mission, the hill that I would like to die on is I'm going to pull all the, the records from these five officers. I'm going to pull their background. I want, you know, I was able to do it with the Dennis Perkins case. The only case I wasn't able to do it was the Epstein case. Um, but I'm, I'm going to go and look, I want to see where these officers were before they got hired. I want to see what the recommendations were when they get hired. I, f- I find it hard to believe that there wasn't any red flags with these five officers, um, and I'd like to know who put them on a special assignment in their first five years of being a police officer. And not only just on a special assignment, but on an anti-violence task force, Correct. Um, which you have no business being on in your first six years of being a cop, to be honest with you, unless you're heavily supervised. Right. Unless you have unless you have supervisors that are that are managing you. Uh, but in this case, it seems in the Memphis case that they had zero supervisors. Um, you just had and five renegades. Yeah. What's that? And, and- Please do. Please do invite me because we're going to have a really good debate because there is that portion of majority of experts and all these people that want to talk about the Memphis uh, PD incident where, hey, you know what? There's standards. You know, they lower the standards. It's a hiring issue. I totally disagree. I think I won't completely disagree, but I honestly think it's a culture issue. It's 1000 percent a culture issue. I'm sick and tired of talking about reform. It's not reform. It's not training. Has nothing to do with training. Uh, like I said it before on another uh, when I was a guest, there is not one instructor in the entire United States in a police academy that has a class where they say, "Guess what? Today we're going to teach you how to actually beat down a suspect while they're handcuffed." Right. It, 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 so, in other words, even for me to even render uh, an analysis is an insult. Because it has nothing to do with tactics. That is sure. just, that's just, and, and again, I don't want to deviate too much and digress, but um, yeah, let's. Uh, but let's, you don't agree that like that, that culture would start? Like if you take five rookie cops and you put them on an anti-violence task force uh, who hasn't seen copious amounts of violence, who hasn't experienced the amount of, of violence that it, it takes to, in my 
personal opinion to work in anti-violence. You know, you got an anti-violence task force. You're tracking down violent individuals, right? You want a seasoned veteran officer who knows what a violent individual does and doesn't do. And you can only do that by working the career for no less than six years before you start, before you can say, okay, here are the characteristics that I've personally seen in a violent guy. This is how a guy is is going to uh, put himself into a corner before he strikes like a snake. You know, there, there are things that you pick up that you can only pick up by experience. Uh, A culture of five young cock, strong, adrenaline filled cops that have been given car plunge. Yeah. Empowered. Empowered to go out there and find violent people and do violent things to those violent people with no supervisors. That in itself creates a very violent culture, a very thug-like mentality culture. So it really go to me personally. It, it goes back to who allowed that to happen. And and before we Which, get to that, we have to go through the whole thing because, you know, right. if I'm putting somebody, if I'm in charge of putting somebody on a violent task force, I want to know uh, what their psyche value. You can't make it on the SWAT team without a psyche value, correct? Right. right. You can't make it onto. Uh, you know, any other task force without a psych about. So somebody needs, you know, and, and we won't know the answers to that unless we look into it. So that's what right. I want to do. I want to deep dive into yeah. the totality of it all. I want to see how did these five individuals make it onto an anti-violence task force having less than five years of service? Yeah. And how did they think it was okay to talk the way that they did and beha- behave in the way that they did? Um, and and, and I, honestly, I, I want to do it because I want to hold the people who allowed it to happen yeah. to be held accountable as well. Yep. Nepotism and favoritism, which is part of the organizational culture, goes a long way, brother. It sure, sure. does. Sure. With a loose, you know, run uh, department where everybody likes to turn a blind eye. Right. Right. Yeah. And and so, you know, that, that might be, you know, a, a thing that we deep dive together. And I'm sure I'll be calling you on it to get your expertise on it as I deep dive on it. But that is my next mission in life is I, I really want to break down the totality of that case from the hiring process all the way through that led us. Uh, to this point, because I want to know the truth. I, I'd like to know. And, and and I oftentimes when I do do deep dives and we've done this three times, I have been shocked and appalled and, and have learned something that I never thought about before. So I'll be excited to break that down. Um, Leonard, where are you at these days? How do we find you? Are you working on any projects right now? Currently podcasting, social medias, et cetera. Just been, been reading a lot. And uh, I've been teaching part-time at a junior college, keeping, keeping myself busy, doing some hikes and whatnot. So uh, I awesome. have a LinkedIn page, LR Perez, if you want to get a hold of me and then, or through Marlon, I'd be more than happy to discuss anything with you guys, but thank you for the opportunity. Uh, like I said, you guys are the first one to hear the actual story of how this got spun off. Uh, when I was on vacation and uh, what a tragedy and my heart goes out again to the Quan family. Yeah. yeah and I, um, I stand was, corrected. Uh, he, yeah. he wasn't the IO, but I brought you gold, baby. No, no, it was fine. <laughs> I mean, he's, he might as well be an investigating officer at this point. I mean, he was brought to the case and, and, and Leonard, um, I, I'm sure it's been said to you, but just in case it hasn't brother, that none of that was your fault. Nothing that you did there. Uh, set this off and I hope you don't hold that on your heart as if it does. I I know it's probably hard for you not to think or at least question your actions in that. Um, But I think Mm -hmm. giving the position that you were in being on vacation, you know, I think you acted a hundred percent reasonably and, and obviously we can always change the way we do things, but what you did in those moments and in those times, you know, you had no fault in what transpired. So I, I personally would like to say, I hope what that means. I hope that you don't hold that over your head as, as you being at fault or 
are you being the problem? But I, I'm sure it's something that you question in your brain. I've, I've had an incident where I was in a, a car chase and I wrecked my car and the man went on to murder somebody minutes later and then rape another woman uh, that night. And, and it took somebody telling me like, look, dude, it's not on you. That's not right. on you and yeah, don't, yeah. don't hold it. And, right. and I was able to get rid of it. And I hope you do too, brother. I, I hope you don't. Well, I hope you don't hold on to that as it's your fault. No, thank you. Well, thank you. Apparently the Wolfpack is getting restless. Much yeah. love and respect to you, uh, yes. Leonard. And uh, of course, Marlon, there is uh, gold in them, their hills, and you brought it to us today. And I appreciate the home run. Uh, and uh, much love and respect to you as well, even though you're a Navy guy. <laughs> Drew, Eric, always a pleasure, man. You guys are too much fun. Thank you for making my Friday morning very uh, pleasant as I move on Good. through the day. And uh, go Navy. <laughs> All right, man. We'll Happy see weekend. you guys. Good weekend, everybody. Good weekend. Guns up, giddy up for myself, Drew Breezy. Okay. Uh, Leonard, Thanks for the invite, Marlon. Marlon, we love you guys, and we'll talk to you next time. Cheers.